Our sign out front by the roads says a message on it that our secretary, Stacy puts on there every week. And sometimes that message lines up really well with how we're moving in this service. And this is one of those times. Uh, she put out there early in this week uh, the message that says, Every temptation comes with a choice. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Every temptation comes with a choice. We watched the video from the Bible Project about the choice that Adam and Eve had in that garden so many years ago from Genesis 2 and 3. The temptation that they faced was a choice between right and wrong, a choice between obedience and disobedience. But there's another choice going on in that story and really in any any temptation situation and any choice that we have between right and wrong, there's a deeper choice going on than just the choice between good and evil. The choice is really about where we find our identity. It's a choice between identifying as the people of God or identifying as people who claim a connection to God only when it's convenient or necessary. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were choosing an identity for themselves other than what God intended for them. Rather than living in their covenant relationship with God, they chose to be their own masters. Throughout all of human history, God has posed the same question to humanity. Will you choose to live in covenant relationship with me, or will you choose to be your own masters? Will you choose to identify most deeply as the people of God, or will you abandon that identity in favor of some other alternative identity, selfish notion, another God that you might choose to pursue? The temptation of Jesus from Matthew 4 is a story that asks the same kinds of questions about Jesus. How will Jesus identify himself? Will Jesus be true to his covenant relationship with God the Father? But the answer to those questions is never in doubt in this story. For Jesus, the answer is always an infinite, unending yes to God. Now, this story of Jesus' temptation comes immediately after his baptism. The very last thing that has happened prior to this story is Jesus' baptism to fulfill all righteousness. And the very final word of that baptism scene is the voice of God saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Something that God said again at the transfiguration of Jesus, the story that we looked at last Sunday. There is no question about Jesus' identity or loyalty or priorities. God has declared it. This is my son whom I love. So the temptation of Jesus is not really an honest temptation in the sense that Jesus might actually choose to betray God or sin in some way. We know he's not going to. The scripture knows he's not going to. Something else is going on here. Now the devil says to Jesus 
twice in two of the three uh, conversations that they have in this story. If you are the son of God, that's how he prefaces two, the first two of the three temptations. But the devil knows very well, and Jesus knows very well, and the writer of the gospel knows, and the reader of the gospel knows very well that the if is not an if at all. Jesus is the Son of God. It's not a question that's up for discussion. This is sandwiched, this story is sandwiched between the baptism of Jesus and the beginning of his preaching ministry, and it proves to us that Jesus is fully committed to the way of God. It's not a question of his identity, if he is the Son of God or not, but it's more about showing us that Jesus is fully committed to following God's way. It's about showing us that Jesus is the perfect covenant partner with God. You see, up to this point in the story, in the grand sweep of Scripture, God's covenant partners have been the people of Israel the Israelites, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But generation after generation, the Israelites have proven to be unfaithful to God in one way or another. Sometimes they go way off the rails. Other times they're relatively faithful, but it doesn't take long as we read the Old Testament for the people to go astray. They're always going astray, and God is always calling them back home. But Jesus enters the story to correct all of this. Jesus is the perfect child of God. He is the ideal citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Through his devotion to the way of God, Jesus shows us what covenant faithfulness looks like. It's a journey of faithfulness that begins here in the wilderness and continues all the way to the cross. That's why we're looking at this story at the beginning of the season of Lent. A season of preparation and of anticipation of leading up to the remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday. From now till then, we're on that journey with Jesus. It starts here in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where God's people are tested and refined and made pure It's a a place where their identity is clarified, where their connection with God can become the strongest. The ancient Israelites had spent a good deal of time wandering through the wilderness after leaving slavery in Egypt many generations before Jesus arrived on the scene. Uh, Why were they wandering through the wilderness? Because they uh, they had treated God with contempt. They had doubted that he was leading them into the promised land. And so... For 40 years, they wandered through the desert until the generation changed over and then a new people of God could commit to being God's covenant partners under the leadership of Joshua, who followed Moses. This time of wandering in the desert is what Matthew wants to bring to our minds when we read the story of Jesus' temptation. On the surface level, the connection is in the number 40. Uh, the, the 40 days and nights that Jesus is in the wilderness connects to the 40 years that the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness too. But there's a stronger connection, more than just the number. 
The stronger connection is in the passages of scripture that Jesus quotes to respond to the devil's temptations. He says every time, it is written, and he's referring to his scriptures. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, the fourth Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. I had to count just to make sure there. The fifth book of the Old Testament, which was part of the law, the Torah, the scriptures that Jesus and all of the other Jews in the first century held as being their scriptures. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, specifically chapters 6 and 8. And in this book, really the whole book of Deuteronomy is about recounting the whole law Um, It means second law, deutero meaning second, and onomy meaning law, the second law. It's retelling the law, and the, the occasion for this retelling of the law is the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Moses is at the end of his life. The people have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is about to die. The people are about to go into the promised land. And before all of that happens, Moses retells the story of how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and renews the covenant with this new generation of people. Moses is charging the people to be faithful to their identity as God's covenant people. That's who Jesus is. That's why he quotes from Deuteronomy to say that I'm the one who's doing this the right way, finally. Jesus is the prototype for what the children of God should look like. The beauty of the good news of the Christian faith is that God steps into our world in the person of Jesus to show us what it looks like to be fully committed to the way of God. What it means to have a rock-solid sense of identity as a child of God. Being a child of God is a tremendous gift and a blessing. It's an identity that we celebrate as believers in Jesus. Our New Testament says, uh, Behold how good it is, see what love God has given us, that we should be called children of God. We sing songs about our identity as God's children, right? Praise the Lord, my heart, with his love is beaming. I am a child of God. Heaven's golden light over me is streaming. I am a child of God. Or if you prefer something newer, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. This idea shows up again and again and again in the songs that we sing because it is rooted in Scripture. But being a child of God is not just a label that we slap on ourselves. It's not a secondary identity that we choose. I'm living my life And then I decide to add this child of God identity on top of things. No, we are now, and we always have been, and we always will be children of God. There has never been a moment in all of history when you have not been a child of God. You have always, always, always been loved by God, and you will always, always, always be loved by God. 
Your identity as a child of God is closer to you than your own name. Closer to you than your thoughts, your feelings, even closer to you than your own skin. You are a child of God. My desire is that each of us would be so confident in our identity as children of God, like Jesus was confident in his identity as the Son of God. My desire is that none of us would be Christians in name only, but that our core identity would be in Christ. That's the choice that we have. Not a choice between right and wrong, between good and evil, but a choice of identity. To follow Jesus means to have our core identity in Christ, to belong to the the covenant people of God. When our core identity is in Jesus, we can reliably return to that identity when times of testing arise in our own lives. We often think of the desert or the wilderness where Jesus went out to as a bad place, something to be avoided. Uh, But the desert, the wilderness, the time of wandering, the time of testing, it can provide opportunities for us to strengthen our identity as followers of Jesus. It can really be a good thing in the long run. The journey through temptation is the journey toward deep, unshakable, life-giving identity. Now, one of the most important and tangible signs of our covenant relationship with God is the practice of communion, which we'll share here in just a few moments. Like any religious ritual, it can lose its meaning if we treat it lightly or flippantly or without recognizing the seriousness of the moment. There is a deep meaning in this spiritual meal. It's a reminder that uh, it's a reminder of the extent that God went to in order to demonstrate his love for us. Jesus gave his life so that we might live. And it's a symbol of our commitment to follow the way of Jesus. Paul wrote in the New Testament, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. And this strange practice is life-giving. Jesus said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He lost a lot of followers when he said that because it sounds really weird. But he means that he is the tree of life. He is the one who gives Abundant life. And not anyone else. Somehow, in the practice of communion, the love of Jesus comes closer to us than the words we sing, or the scriptures we read, or the prayers that we speak. The love of Jesus enters our very selves and reminds us that we are children of God. So I invite you in this moment now, before we begin the, uh, the communion service proper, I invite you now to reaffirm your identity as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. Or 
I invite you to affirm that identity for the first time. Perhaps this is a new thing for you to accept the reality that you are one of God's children and that Jesus gave his life so that you might live. And if that's the case, uh, if you need to make that affirmation for the first time, you can do that internally. If you need to make that affirmation for the hundredth time, you can do that internally, quietly, and just acknowledging within your spirit that God is who God says he is and that your identity in Christ is real and authentic But the the best way to claim that identity, whether it's for the first or the hundredth time, is to share that identity with someone else. I was talking with a a stranger, actually, yesterday, someone I didn't know. Um, We were talking about spiritual things, as sometimes happens, you know. Um, And he was talking about how Christ has made a difference in his life. He knows that Christ is real because Christ is in him. And the thought occurred to me, yeah, that's great, that's wonderful, absolutely, amen to that, but Christ is also in this, in this interaction that we're having right now. It's not just internal that, that Jesus makes a difference, it's in our relationships with each other. So for those of us who identify as children of God, as followers of Jesus, it's not just an internal decision, not just an internal identity, it's something that must be shared. That's where Christ is found and communicated. And how, we, uh, and how we share love with each other by recognizing our common nature in Christ. So you could share that identity with me or with a spiritual mentor or a trusted friend, but it, it needs to be shared. It cannot be kept inside. And so in a moment here, we'll share in the practice of communion, the sign of our common identity as followers of Jesus and an opportunity for spiritual renewal as we take from the tree of life and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, as strange as that may sound. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that the temptation of Jesus was not something that needed to be feared by the world, but that serves to prove the identity of the one whom we follow. And we give you thanks that we can follow in his footsteps because we are your children. Help us, Lord, as we approach this table now to do so with humility and reverence and to know beyond the shadow of doubt that you are, that you are our God and that you are our source of life, our forgiver, our sustainer, and our constant companion our hope and our joy and our, and our life. I pray, Lord, in this moment that all who are followers of you would, would recommit themselves in this, in this moment to you and that there would be a, a refilling of our spirits by your spirit so that we might recognize the truth that we are children of God. And Lord, if there are some in this room who, uh, for whom this is a new message or it's something that's not quite real yet um, in our lives, I, I pray that this would become real and that, uh, that our lives would be transformed by choosing the tree of life. Help us, Lord, to honor you in how we live, to not choose to be our own masters, but to serve you with every 
breath that we take and every choice that we make. And so, Lord, we ask that you would hear us as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, which, if you need a reference, will be up on the screen here. We'll pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.